Welcome back to Fast Fun Bible Story Shorts with me, Israel Shirts. This is our Season 1 Road Trip Mix. Thanks for liking and subscribing to this content wherever you're listening. Remember to rate it too. This Road Trip Mix is a combination of every single episode smashed together. They're in order of where they are in the Bible. Before each episode, I'll come in, introduce and share a mix of fun Bible facts and some context of the story. First one is Noah. Through God's rescuing power, he saved Noah and his family. The cool fact here is that until Noah's time, rain never came from the sky. It always came from the ground. So buckle in, rev up, and punch the gas for this epic road trip mix. Noah was a really old man, like super old. How do I know? In Genesis chapter 5, the big number, verse 32, the tiny number, the Bible says Noah was 500 years old when he had kids. Man, I look good for my age. More than Pilates, baby. Plenty of veggies and a daily worship to God. Thanks, Noah. So, kids, uh, were your parents that old when they became your mom or dad? Ask them now. Okay, let's continue. Noah was a man of integrity and innocent. However, most people on earth were not, and God was really sad. Noah, Noah, I have a plan to rescue you and your family from all this wickedness. God, creator of heaven and earth and everything in it, please share your plan and what you want me to do. What? A boat? A big boat? But what's a boat? This is actually the first recorded time of a boat in the Holy Bible. Before this, there was the creation story, and that didn't have any boats in it. It's easy to see boats now in our time. They're everywhere. Big boats, small boats, fast boats, slow boats. Boats that carry lots of people and boats that carry lots of trash. God gave really detailed instructions to Noah up to how to build the big boat. This blueprint in hand... Noah was almost ready to build, but God had more to say. This boat will save you from the rains that I will send, flooding your world and cleansing it from all its sins. And I will send you to of every kind of creature of the earth and sky. Yes, even lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, 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 my. Birds of the air and all that creeps and crawls upon the ground. Oh no, I will bring them to you 
go forth Noah and build me a boat and know that I am with you This boat was filling up quick. The boat, also known as the Ark, was massive. Measuring in at a stunning 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high, this modern marvel can hold every type of animal on Earth times two. Let's get ready to go! This is a big boat. <laughs> it was the size of one and a half football fields and as high as a bronchiosaurus dinosaur. Or you could say it's the size of the smallest cruise line ship. I'll do everything, God. With this boat blueprint, or may I say, boat print, <laughs> it sounds like a butt print, <laughs> three sons and a wonderful and beautiful wife, we will start. Hey, baby. Hey, girl. Let's cut the cypress wood trees down. God wants this type of wood. We need a lot of them to build the ark. Dude, you're crazy. Following God? God doesn't exist. Uh, uh yes, yes, he, he does. does. Clearly, you're wrong. Because no water has ever come from the sky like your God claims it will. In fact, listeners, up until Noah, water only came from the ground, not the sky. So this was the first documented time rain came from the sky. Whoa, a lot of firsts in this story. The Bible says that Noah was 600 years old when he started to build... Still looking good. I've got a consistent and steady routine of exercise, eating healthy, and godly worship. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So... He was 600 when the flood came. All animals came into the now-completed ark. With his family on board, God shut the doors to this massive boat. It's really coming down out there, Dad. Whoa, did you feel that? The boat is moving. It's rising to float on the water. God has saved us from the flood. Now, we care for the animals in the ark and wait for the rain to stop and for the water to go back down. How long? Waiting is hard and boring. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 12, the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So what does that mean? An average month is 30 days, so a little over a month it rained. Geesh, if it rains consistently for two whole days, I can get cranky. I don't know about you. Imagine sitting on a boat carrying tons of animals, making sounds of all kinds, and not being able to go outside for a month. Super annoying. Being cooped up with my brothers and their families for a month? Not being able to go outside or run around because I may knock over something or irritate the animals? (sighs) Well, luckily we have all this stuff and chores to do to keep our mind off that. Like, caring for the animals, 
Let's go. When the rain stopped, water went down, and the massive ark set to rest on Mount Ararat. Noah sent out a series of birds to make sure the earth was safe to walk on again. Fly, bird, fly. The raven came back. The dove came back. However, the second dove never returned. Now Noah knew the earth was safe again to walk on. Noah, his family, and all the animals exited the ark. This was a new day. Noah built an altar thanking God for his protection. God replied back with a gift of a rainbow. This showed Noah God's promise to never flood the earth again. A beautiful reminder of God's hope and love. Our second story is the Joseph Collection. It's the story of Joseph, one of the youngest sons of Israel. In the Bible times, the first son received the family inheritance. The money, land, animals, or something else. The coat Joseph got from his dad represented that he received the family inheritance, not his oldest brother. Welcome to the coat closet, where our clothes are the finest non-import import fabric, where our coats will pop and jive. We're out. Yeah, 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 I get it. You sell coats. You sell cool coats. That's why I'm here. Well, sir, how may I serve you? I want you to make a custom colorful coat for my Joseph. He's my favorite. Israel gave Joseph this amazing, expensive, and custom coat. Did I mention that Joseph was one of the youngest sons of Israel? Twelve sons in total. You heard me correct. Twelve. The youngest was Benjamin, but he was really young at this time. With Joseph being the favorite son, the older ten didn't like him. In fact, the Bible said they hated their 17-year-old brother. It didn't help Joseph's cause with his brothers when he started having dreams and then shared them. Okay, let's pause. Boop. Hated by his brothers? New coat? Dreams? That's a lot already in a few sentences of the 10-chapter story. Additionally, why is a dream so important? Anytime someone told me their dream, I didn't hate them for it. Okay, let's unpause and get back to the story. Boop. Check this out, guys. Last night I had a dream. We were gathering and tied stalks of grain up then. (laughs) You'll never guess what happened. (laughs) My grain suddenly stood up and yours gathered around mine and bowed down. Wow. They didn't like it. Do you have a younger brother or sister? Do you get annoyed at them? Well, that was happening at an epic level. They were not going to bow down to their younger brother. We think that is crazy. Correction, Joseph. You are crazy, bro. Never gonna happen. You're not the oldest. Dad won't ever let that happen. They were correct. Joseph had another dream. This time it was the sun, moon, and eleven stars bowing down to them. His father didn't like it and scolded him for having the dreams. Joseph, you can't believe everything you dream about. Do you think that if you have a dream that all of us are throwing pies at each other, that will happen? No, because I don't like pie. Who doesn't like pie? Sheesh. Well... Some time passed, and Israel sent Joseph to be with his brothers while they took care of the family sheep. Wait, what? 
Dad is sending his favored son to the same brothers that hate him. Far from home? <laughs> Not a wise choice. Look, Joseph is coming. Let us throw him into this pit. When they saw him, they immediately wanted to kill him. But Reuben, not the tasty sandwich, tried to rescue him from the pit. He lost, though. Joseph arrived, and they took his awesome, fancy, colorful coat, threw him into the pit, and then had some lunch. I wonder what they ate. A knuckle sandwich? (laughs) Punch? (laughs) Or maybe some pudding. The Bible doesn't exactly say, but they ate. After they ate, the brother saw something off into the distance that got them really excited. Is that a bird? Flying camels? No, it's... Merchants. Riding across the desert, these Midianites rode over to Joseph's brothers. They made a deal and sold him for 20 shekels of silver, or $175 today. They sold him and then destroyed an amazing, expensive, colorful, and, may I add, comfy coat? Wow, sin and hate can cause us to do some mean things. Let's go, slave. Off to Egypt. Joseph went off to be sold as a slave in Egypt, and his brothers thought they were rid of him forever. (laughs) Nope. The brothers ran back and lied to their father that Joseph was attacked. Israel was sad, Joseph was a slave, and the brothers were happy for now. Good morning. Today we have a great lot. Come on, come on. Which slave do you want to buy? They cook, clean, sit, and roll in the dirt. They can even speak. Watch out. They might even eat all of your cupcakes. (laughs) So hide them. Seriously. Do I hear a starting bid of 300? Let's do a brief history lesson. Slavery is bad. It never helped, healed, and only hurts. During this time and culture, though, it was big. People buying people, usually foreigners, to do their housework and more. Joseph was one of them. I have three. Do I have 325? 354. We got four. Can I get five? Can I remind you that this man is young and I'll throw in a free radio? What is a radio, you ask? (laughs) Good question. I don't know. Maybe it's like a Walkman, an ancient and historical artifact. You all like artifacts here in Egypt, right? 700! Sold to the gentleman in back. I can't see you. You'll need to come up and pay, now. Oh, sir, I I didn't know it was you. I I wouldn't have spoken to you in that way. Please forgive me. Thank you for your business. Please take this free coupon from Mom's Best Pie. It's delicious. It's right inside Sphinx Mall, food court level two. This man was Potiphar. No, not pot of furs or <laughs> potty turds. Pot if fur. Wow. The Bible has some different and weird names sometimes. It's because the culture where the story takes place mainly. Anyway, he was an important person. He was one of the Pharaoh's officials and the captain of the guard. He most likely had a big house and needed someone to help keep it going. That's why he purchased Joseph as a house slave. Again, Slavery is bad. You'll find out later that God uses this bad to save a lot of people. All right, enough with the spoilers. Joseph was taken to Potiphar's house and began working. The Bible mentions that Joseph did a great job. 
His boss never had to worry and was highly impressed. Joseph, I'm impressed. When I leave, I don't have to worry. You are top-notch, the superstar of this house. Things went well in the house, until they were not. Potiphar's wife lied about Joseph, and Potiphar became so angry he threw Joseph in jail. Joseph, I'm ashamed. I believed in you. Guards, take Joseph and throw him into prison. Joseph spent a long time in jail. You might think that God left him. Maybe he forgot about Joseph. You'd be wrong. The Bible mentions that God was with him the entire time. He was with Joseph when his brothers sold him. God was with him at Potiphar's house and now is with him in jail. He worked hard and rose in the ranks and was trusted to run the prison. Say what now? A prisoner running the jail? What is happening? This has to be God because that is impossible. The chief jailer, like Potiphar, trusted Joseph. Anything that Joseph did, God made prosper. I wonder what that meant. It's like they tried several times to bake pizza, but kept burning it. Then Joseph made it perfectly, and the taste was out of this world. Or maybe the toilet was leaking for years. Then Joseph stepped in and fixed the leak. Maybe there was a hungry kitten, and Joseph had compassion, set food out, and protected it. Maybe even the mystery of the dirty dishes were solved. What happened? Simple. Joseph cleaned them. Whatever it was, God was with Joseph. Time passed and two people were thrown in jail for offending the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Bible doesn't mention their names. Rather, what they did for the Pharaoh, a cupbearer and baker. A cupbearer, not a cupbearer or cup dog, a cupbearer in the Bible, was a person in a high position who served the king his food and drink. They were required to taste his food and drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned. They had to be trusted. A baker is someone who made the food. Well, one night, these two people had some pretty weird dreams. Joseph heard and asked them to share. And those were my dreams. Now, Joseph, what do they mean? Whoa, does anyone feel lost? When did Joseph get in front of the pharaoh? What happened to the baker and the cupbearer? Didn't they have dreams too? What did Joseph say to them? Ah, all these questions. Breathe. Okay, let's see if we can look back and find out what happened. On the count of three, press rewind. One, two, three. Boop. Ah, we went back too far. Quick, let's fast forward. I think this is broken. Now we are too much into the future. They definitely didn't have cars back in the Bible. Give me a moment. Okay, I think I got it fixed. Press rewind again. Yes, this is the place. How do I know? Let's listen. Check this out, bro. Stop beating that fro, yo. So listen up and drink a cup. 
I'm the cupbearer to the pharaoh. My dream had a grapevine, three branches so divine. I had a cup in my hand, so I squeezed the best in the land. Check this out, bro. Stop eating my froyo. So listen up and drink a cup. I'm the cupbearer to the pharaoh. Then I took the cup, I served the king straight up. Check this out, bro. Stop feeding that fro, yo. So listen up and drink a cup. I'm the cup bearer to the pharaoh. Whoa, that was an exciting view of your dream. My friend, only God can show you your dreams. This is what it means. You will be restored and set free in three days. You will be the pharaoh's cup bearer again. Oh, I like hearing that. Let me tell you mine. On my head were three baskets. I know that sounds funny, but don't dread. They were filled with bread. Yummy bread. Because I'm a baker. Suddenly, the weirdest thing happened. Birds started eating all of it. Yeah, that's it. Dude, what a loss. Your dream means that in three days, you won't see the Pharaoh ever again. The dreams happened just as Joseph said they would, on the Pharaoh's birthday. Oh, I like birthdays, especially mine. Yippee! Happy birthday to me. The cupbearer was set free to be at the side of the Pharaoh once again. The baker, though, was not. When the cupbearer was freed from prison, Joseph gave one request. Hey, don't forget about me. Tell the pharaoh what I did here today. That didn't happen, though. The Bible says the cupbearer totally forgot. Actually, he forgot for two years. He remembered when pharaoh also had a very weird dream. His dream didn't have birds, bread, or grapes in them. The pharaoh's dream had cows and wheat. Guards, uh, gather all these wise men across Egypt. I've just had some dreams that I don't understand. The Bible says all the magicians and wise men all over Egypt came and tried to understand his dreams, but they couldn't. Aw, snap! I just remembered something I'd forgotten. There's a man locked up in the prison all abandoned. His name is Joseph. Remember when you locked me up? Well, I had a dream holding your cup. Yes, sir. He told me what it meant and all came true. I'm standing here again in front of you. So, your highness, please adhere. Release him so he can bring you cheer. Pharaoh called for the release of Joseph. Joseph came before the Pharaoh. The king of Egypt shared his dreams with him. And those were my dreams. Now, Joseph, what do they mean? Joseph heard the dreams of Pharaoh. One involved cows, the other grain. Cows go moo. (laughs) Beef is what's for dinner. But not in this case. The Pharaoh had two dreams. One dream had seven fat cows, and then seven skinny cows appeared, eating the seven fat cows. Wow, (laughs) those cows must have been hungry. The next dream, the pharaoh had involved seven plump heads of grain. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but they were withered, rotten, and just plain gross. What do these mean, Joseph? Oh, great king of Egypt, only God can interpret dreams. Your dreams mean that Egypt will have seven years of plenty in the fields, In the next seven years, there will be a famine across the land. What is a famine? A famine is simply a lack of food. So in those seven years of famine Joseph mentioned, there wouldn't be any corn, wheat, 
or crops grown. There weren't microwaves to heat up food quickly or any drive throughs to grab chicken either. Wise king of Egypt, all what God has shown you in your dreams will come true. I suggest that you find one to lead this charge and stock up during the seven years of plenty to prepare for the seven years of famine across the land. I believe I have found such a wise leader, Joseph. The leader is you. You've shown me that your God is with you, and your ideals are amazing. Like Top Shelf Awesome, you will lead Egypt through these years. No one will be higher than you in authority and power except me, the king of all Egypt. I give you complete power and authority to do what you must do to prepare Egypt to survive and thrive, baby. Go. You have my blessing. Joseph went out inspecting the entire land of Egypt, mapping where storehouses would be and more. Let's go out into the community and see who is growing crops, what they are growing, and how much. Through the first seven years of plenty, all of Egypt's crops prospered. The Bible mentions that after the seven outstanding years of food came the seven years of famine. People came from across the land to get food from Joseph. Your land has no food. We have food. Come on over to Egypt and fill your bellies. Joseph was like a human vending machine. Put some quarters in and now pops your grain, corn, and more. <laughs> One of these groups of people were none other than his brothers. Remember those guys? Cue the tape. You are crazy, bro. Never gonna happen. Joseph is coming. Let us throw him into this pit. Yeah, those guys. They ran out of food too, and the closest to get food was to see Joseph, whom their father thought dead, and they thought a slave. Oh wow, this is going to be a family reunion to remember. If I was Joseph and I saw my brothers, I would pay them back for what they did to me. Oh boy, I can't wait. Actually, narrator guy, I've forgiven my brothers, and believe that what they meant for bad, God meant for good. I miss them and can't wait to see them. However, when I first see them, I'm not going to tell them that it's me. Well, I was wrong. Hey kids, have you ever been wrong? We all make mistakes. But it's when we choose to learn and grow that makes a difference. Joseph's brothers still lived in the land of Canaan. It wasn't like they were going down the street to the grocery store. To give an understanding of the distance they traveled to get food, you would have to drive 10 hours, non-stop. And that was just going one way traveling about 470 miles. Obviously, they didn't have cars or buses back then, and most likely had to walk to Egypt. It would take approximately 14 days. That's two weeks of travel, one way. That's a lot of walking to get food. Wow. <laughs> I bet they wish they could DoorDash or Grubhub that grain. The brothers came, and Joseph tested them to see if they were still the brothers from his childhood, or, like Joseph if they had changed too. I'm going to see where their heart is and test them. When his brothers arrived in Egypt, they went to Joseph, the top governor in the land, and they bowed down to him. Well, look at that. 
Remember when Joseph was younger and had dreams of his brothers bowing down to him? They said it would never happen. Well, it happened. Joseph accused them of being spies and threw them all in prison. On the third day, Joseph released all but one brother. I am a God-fearing man. I will let you go, but one must stay behind. When you return, you must bring your youngest brother. Only then will I believe you are not spies. Joseph gave all the grain they needed and even ordered all the money they paid returned to them. They returned home in fear and didn't want to go back to Egypt. However, time went on and they ran out of grain again. They had to bring their youngest brother Benjamin back or else. They brought him with them this time and went before Joseph bowing down again. He released the other brother from prison and did one final trick, sneaking a cup in Benjamin's sack of grain, causing them to return immediately to Egypt. When they arrived, Joseph, who they still didn't know who was their brother, told them he would take Joseph from them as punishment. Sir, please don't take our brother. Long ago we made a mistake and lost a brother. It hurt our father and realized that we should never have done what we did. We can't take losing another brother again. With their brother's reaction, Joseph knew at that moment that their hearts had changed. I can't hold it back anymore. I'm Joseph, your brother. Go get our father and come live here with me. You'll be taken care of. We'll be together again. The End Next up is the Moses Collection. God rescued the Israelites by using Joseph to bring them to live in the land of Egypt. When God flexes rescuing power in the Moses story, it mentions they took the bones of Joseph, who originally saved them and brought them out of Egypt to the promised land. Babies. Lots and lots of babies. The Israelites had grown to such a big number since coming to live in the Egyptian nation. Why? Well, let's rewind for a quick history lesson. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and rose to become the second in command over all of Egypt. Under the current pharaoh, and with God's help, Joseph led the Egyptian people through a seven-year famine. The pharaoh was so pleased that he allowed Joseph's family to move to Egypt with him. But more on that in another story. Let's fast forward to our story for today. Years later, Joseph was gone and a new pharaoh was on the scene. New pharaoh, that me. New pharaoh, new pharaoh. I got Crocs as pets, can afford a sweet jet. I got more gold than Fort Knox. Watch out for my cat named Socks. New pharaoh, new pharaoh. Yeah, that's me. Hi, excellent. What do you want to do with the Israelites? They be having too many kids. If they keep having them, we will be overrun and they may attack us. Take care of them. Throw all baby boys into the Nile. <laughs> we try, but when we get there, we see no babies. In fact, God had protected the Israelites. He had a plan. Meanwhile, in Lower Egypt, near the Mediterranean Sea, a mother named Jochebed secretly gave birth to a boy. For months, she hid him from the pharaoh and his thugs. Until she couldn't anymore. He had grown too big to hide. Jochebed loved her baby boy and wanted him to live. She built a basket to float him in the reeds of the Nile River. 
Her goal was that the basket would float him away to safety. It was a big risk. Hungry crocodiles, carnivorous hippos, and dangerous river rapids. Floating the basket amongst the reeds was a wise strategy to keep her baby safe. For miles, the baby boy floated in safety and landed in the most unexpected place. Where do you think he arrived? A fast food place, Pharaoh's palace, or Grandma's house? If you said Pharaoh's palace, you are correct. The princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, found the baby boy in the basket, instantly fell in love with him and adopted him. She named him Moses, which means drawn out of the water. Moses, an Israelite, growing up in an Egyptian palace? The same people who wanted him dead now are caring for him. Talk about God's protection. This palace is huge. I know all the best hiding spots. No one will beat me in the game of hide and seek. Life was good. He didn't have to be worried about anything. He probably drank from a fountain of chocolate milk every day. As prince of Egypt, he most likely had servants too. Hey servant, can you please give me my favorite snack? If you need reminded, it's sweet fatir. As Moses grew, he began to learn that he was an Egyptian like his adopted parents, but an Israelite. Years later, upon visiting the Israelites, he witnessed a guard beating an Israelite slave. He flared with anger. Stop it! You don't have to beat him! They began to fight. It ended with Moses killing the guard and hiding him in the sand, believing no one saw. He was wrong, though. The Israelites saw. Word got back to the Pharaoh. He did what? Moses is causing me too much money. Get rid of him. Moses evaded the guards and had to flee from Egypt, running away from the only home he had ever known, from the people he thought loved him. Successfully escaping, Moses went towards the land of Midian. He was now a fugitive. Come on, sheep. Years had passed, and the new pharaoh had become an old pharaoh and died, bringing yet another pharaoh to the throne to lead Egypt. Moses had settled into his new home in Midian. Over the years, he learned to become a shepherd. Moses enjoyed the peacefulness. No more Egyptian thugs hunting him. He was comfortable. This is the best. It's so peaceful here. It is hard, though, being a shepherd, especially when the sheep don't listen. Hey, sheep, where you going? Get back here. Found you, sheep. Wait, what is that? It's a bush, but it's not burning up. How can this be? Moses, Moses. God, is that you? Moses, you are now in a holy place. I have seen and heard the troubles of my people. They are suffering. I have chosen you to deliver them. Wait, what now? Um, yeah, um, that doesn't work for me. 
I'm booked and so busy. My wife, Zipporah, has all these honeydew lists for me. Like honeydew this, honeydew that, feed the sheep, walk the sheep, shoe the sheep, pet the sheep, clean the sheep, play with the sheep, be nice to the sheep. You know, busy, busy, busy. Moses, I will be with you. God showed Moses his mighty power by changing his staff into a snake and back again. Moses continued to make excuses because he didn't want to go. Eventually, Moses was convinced and decided to pack up and head back to Egypt, the place he ran away from many years earlier. Moses traveled from Midian to Egypt to face the Pharaoh in order to release the Israelites, a showdown of the century. The palace was vast. As he walked, the hall echoed his steps. As he approached the throne room, he realized this was not the same family who loved and adopted him many years earlier. With strong resolve for his mission, Moses spoke. Let my people go, so that they may go worship their God. (laughs) You waste my time. I will not release my slaves. You're crazy. Release them now. God demands it. I don't serve your God, and your people are lazy. They don't need to go to worship. I will now give them more and harder work. This is your fault. You have caused this. Moses left to seek the counsel of the living God and find out what to do next. I am God. I will make the Pharaoh release my people by sending many plagues upon his land. Moses listened and told the Pharaoh what God had said, but he again didn't listen. So God started sending plagues to the Egyptian nation, starting with the changing the Nile River to blood. After each plague God sent Egypt, Moses went back to demand the Pharaoh let the Israelites go. Every time the Pharaoh said, No. Frogs? No. Gnats, flies, and death of livestock? No, no, and no. Even though that's gross. Guards, cancel the barbecue! God continued with skin disease, hail, locusts, and darkness for three whole days. I said no, no, no. And I have a flashlight. Number 10 was the worst. At midnight one night, a cry from every Egyptian home was heard throughout the nation. The Bible says all firstborn Egyptian children had died. It was a sad time and Pharaoh immediately told Moses to leave Egypt with all the Israelites. Moses and the Israelites quickly packed up their stuffed animals, dog toys, and made some peanut butter jelly sandwiches and hightailed it out of there. God protected them during the night with a pillar of fire and led them by day with a huge cloud. God had rescued the Israelites. They were free, or so they thought. After they left Egypt, the Pharaoh had a change of heart. Get the horses.
Keep going! They will be our slaves again or die. People could hear the chariot wheels spinning and the horses pushing through the sand. They panicked and began running. Run! He's coming! The panic increased when they came face to face with the wide and deep Red Sea. With the vast sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them, what were they to do? Moses peered across the Red Sea. Moses, Moses, I am with you. Hold out your staff and I will part the waters of the sea. Suddenly the Red Sea exploded upward. Winds roared across the water. Wind blew throughout the night while God protected the Israelites with a pillar of fire standing between them and the advancing army. Morning came, and the Israelites awoke to a pathway through the Red Sea. Let's go, people. God has saved us. The ground, it's, it's dry. This is impossible. Well, nothing's impossible with God. Thousands of Israelites crossed into the Red Sea, led by Moses, but Pharaoh was hot on their heels. Whoa! <laughs> the, the sea! It, it's not here anymore. Th- there's a path? What is going on? I, ne- never mind that. Let, let's follow them in. They are crazy. They will pay. Yeah! Pharaoh and his army went into the Red Sea, riding on the same land the Israelites set foot on, feeling the same mist on their faces. The Israelites were completely out of the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army was still coming with the water towering over them. God closed the pathway. Water came crashing down. Moses and the Israelites were finally free from slavery. With the Israelites free, Moses began leading them in the direction of their promised land. They traveled a month and a half. The Bible mentions they came to the desert of sin. That's when the people broke down. The entire community started grumbling and complaining. We're so hungry. We're going to die. We were better taken care of in Egypt. Let's turn around. Throughout their journey, every time they complained, God answered. He provided food called manna, which is described as bread from heaven. This bread is yummy, but now we are thirsty. Let's go back to Egypt. At least we didn't have to worry about anything. They must have forgotten about the whole slavery thing. They were relentless, but God was also relentless. He continued to show his love and miracles to them. God directed Moses to hit a rock and sweet water would pour out. Okay, let's pause there for a moment. Boop. Anyone else listening think that was weird? A rock. Seriously, every time I've seen inside a rock, there's more rock. Not water. It kind of reminds me of gusher candy. Okay, anyways, God took care of them. Even though they complained, he took care of them all the way to the desert of Sinai. 
They set up camp at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Clouds rolled in and descended upon the top. Thunder was heard and lightning was seen. After telling the Israelites not to follow him, Moses climbed the mountain to meet God. The voice of God was heard and the mountain shook. I am the Lord your God, and you are my people. Listen to my commandments. When you follow them, they will lead you on the God gave Moses the legendary Ten Commandments from the top of Mount Sinai on two stone tablets. Moses was a beast to carry these heavy rocks back down to the people. What were the commandments? Let me share them here. Commandment number one, there's only one God, which was the God who rescued them from Egypt. Commandment number two, don't bow down or worship any other gods. So don't go making statues and worship a lump of earth. Commandment number three, always say God's name with respect. Do you like when people say your name nicely? Exactly. Commandment number four, keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor God and rest from your week by taking the time to worship him. Commandment number five, honor mom and dad. Listen and obey your parents, even when it's hard. Commandment number six, don't murder. Obviously, don't kill the other people. Commandment number seven, love your spouse entirely when you are married. Commandment number eight, don't steal. If it's not yours, don't touch it. Commandment number nine, don't lie. Lying is lying. If someone says it's just a little white lie, that is still a lie. Commandment number ten, Don't want or crave what is not yours. Enjoy what you have and have been given. With Moses sharing these Ten Commandments to the Israelites, they promised to always follow and worship the true God. Life was good at that moment. Have you ever made mistakes? Well, that's what the Israelite people did as the time went on. They made some more mistakes, but God was there. God loved them and continued to show himself to them. After 40 years in the desert, Moses was able to lead them to the border of the Promised Land, but not into the Promised Land. He passed the torch of leadership to Joshua. In the book of Joshua, God reminded Joshua several times that he is not alone. Joshua peered across the landscape. Off in the distance, he saw God's promised land to him and his people. For 40 years, they have been wandering in the desert because of their disobedience to God. God had used Moses to rescue the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, it wasn't physically milk and honey. Imagine walking and the moment you step into the promised land, you get stuck in honey. Then you spot streams of ice-cold milk, and you realize that you forgot the cookies. 
bummer. The land was a sign of their freedom, hope, and future with God. However, during their journey from Egypt, God noticed that they had some growing pains to work out. He shared his plan with Moses and told him that he would be able to lead the Israelites up to it, but not in. So Moses raised his successor, Joshua. Standing on the hilltop, gazing and slightly nervous, with Moses gone, Joshua knew he was the next leader of the Israelites and would take them into the promised land. There was only one issue. As he gazed and saw the beautiful promised land in the distance, he also saw Jericho. Jericho was a fortified military city. It was strategically positioned to see and stop everyone from entering into the land. What was Joshua to do? Even more uncertain than he would get into the promised land. (sighs) Joshua, oh Joshua. God, I can't. It's impossible. I will be with you wherever you may go. I'm lost. Everyone is depending on me. I am with you, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. I feel alone, God. This burden is heavy. You are not alone, Joshua. I am with you always. Do you not know that I am your strength, I am your courage, and so you will lead them into the promised land. Obey me, and Jericho will fall. God went on to share his unusual and different military plan. Joshua was going to defeat Jericho, God's way. God's plan was to gather all the priests and people and march. Yep, that's it. March. March around the walls of Jericho. Oh, Joshua, behold, with music and marching by this holy worship, the mighty walls of Jericho will fall. Joshua received this super secret, amazing, not secret, complex, well-known, so not so complex, and rather simple battle plans from God and shared it with the Israelites. God has given us Jericho. Um, please excuse me, General Joshua, sir? Yes? How has he given it if we don't have it yet? I'm confused. Believe in the power and the might of God. His plan is simple. We will march and play music. I don't have the right shoes. Are you tired of walking on sand? Do your sandals have holes? Do your feet get dirty? Well, not anymore, they won't. With our patent Corinthian leather straps, your feet will feel loved and protected from sand. 
Better. Let's go! They trusted and believed that God had given them Jericho and obeyed God, even though it was a weird plan. They had heard of God's amazing rescuing power, and now they were living it. They marched around the city once a day for six days. Woo! These new kicks are working out well. Six days, one hour each day. Can't wait until tomorrow. Let's go eat. Now the Israelites are marching, not walking, around Jericho, spanning an estimated half mile. The Israelites are in super shape from roaming the desert for 40 years, and their numbers were in the thousands. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says there were at least 40,000 battle-ready people. Imagine, 40,000 military marching, playing instruments each day, and multiplying that with yelling a shockwave to the walls. God knew what he was doing. Joshua led the Israelites for an entire week, simply marching and playing instruments. On the seventh day, it was a game changer. God told us to do this, and we have faith that he will guide us and give us what he promised a land to live to be free in a land to worship him and grow with him in a land flowing with milk and honey the moment we do the walls of jericho will crumble and the promised land will be ours one two three The Israelites followed and trusted God. When they did, they witnessed his rescuing power. Even though a weird plan, they still followed it. Even though they didn't see it or totally understand it, they followed. Now with Jericho defeated and with a renewed focus, Joshua led the Israelites into God's promised land. The End Gideon shows us that God is patient because he believed in Gideon. He knew his true name. The Bible describes Gideon as being shy. God calls him a mighty warrior. Let's lean in and listen. Midianites. Who were they? Where did they come from? Wait, isn't this story about me? Gideon and how... Whoa, pump the brakes, buddy. God used you in a great and amazing way. From fear to faith, you're simply doing some quick history. Here, drink some chamomile tea. Sit back and listen. We'll get to your part soon. Go on, go on, I'm listening. I need some history reminders too. To help us know the Midianites, here's a quick history lesson. The Midianites first showed up in Genesis 37, when God used the Midianites to actually save the Israelites. Say what now? I know, right? They were the merchants who purchased Joseph from the pit and took him to Egypt. 
and Joseph needed to be in Egypt to save his family from the famine, the seven years of no food. The Midianites were descendants of Ishmael, who was one of the descendants of Abraham. Remember that guy? You know, Father Abraham had many sons. God promised Abraham he would give him descendants as numerous as the stars above. Well, God is keeping his promise. Sit back and eat your popcorn, folks, because we're not done yet. Wait, you gave them popcorn? Moses' wife, Zipporah, was a Midianite. You think your family fights a lot. Whoa, it was a crazy, repetitive cycle. Well, 200 years passed, and the Israelites are now living in the Promised Land. Midianites are still attacking the Israelites. People were living in fear. What would need to happen? Well, enter Gideon. Yes, finally! The Midianites had taken everything. What was a person to do when their crops were ready to harvest and by the time they got there, someone else had burned it all down? Imagine being really hungry so you could get up, go to your fridge or cupboard, and no food would be there. Yeah, not cool. That's what the Israelites faced. Gideon had an idea, though. Instead of separating the useful pieces of grain called threshing, out in the open where the Midianites would and could stroll right up and steal it, he did the unthinkable. He hid underground. I know it would have been easier to do it outside so the unusable pieces of the chaff could fly away into the wind, but I didn't want to risk it. What can I say? I was scared. Gideon, oh Gideon, do not be afraid. I have chosen you. No more hiding, Gideon. It's time to take a stand. Now look before you. And see that you are not alone. And know. I go before you, behind you, with you, always. Men from across the land came, a total of 32,000. That's the size of a small country. God put them through a quick test and elimination process. 32,000 versus the army of Midian, numbering 135,000. Wow, God is the living and rescuing God. He would be with us and help us defeat the Midianites who have bullied us for so many years. However, anyone who is afraid, you have permission to leave. Hey, hey, um, hey Clarence. Uh. Look into the valley. All of us are going against all of them. I'm out of here. 22,000 men left, leaving 10,000 to face the 135,000. From one against four, now it's one against 13. What is God up to? Because he wasn't finished. God thought that 10,000 was still too big. Gideon next took them down to some water, watched 
how everyone drank. 300 drank with cupped hands, while the other 9,700 did not. 300 men that day were chosen to battle against 135,000 Midianites. Let's get down to business to defeat the Midianites. So Gideon listened to God. Okay, okay, I have a plan. Take these torches and pots and surround the camp. When I give the signal, light the torches, smash the pots, and yell really loud. Everyone did just as Gideon told them. The noise at night echoed in the valley, making them sound like thousands more. The Midianites were so confused and scared that they began attacking themselves. Those who remained ran away, leaving no more Midianites in the land. God had used Gideon to rescue the Israelites from the Midianites. The end. Now firmly established in the promised land, David, the chapter before, was secretly chosen to be the next king of Israel. The Philistines were known to be barbaric against anyone different from them. Well, the Israelites were different, and God was sending the next king of Israel to save them. Well, the Israelites were different, and God was sending the next king of Israel to save them. <laughs> Choose one fighter among yourselves to fight me alone in champion warfare. The Israelites looked at each other. Say what? There stood the thundering champion of Gath, his armor weighing over 125 pounds. While gripping his mighty sword, his voice boomed across the valley of Elah to the Israelite camp. If he wins, we will be your slaves. If I win, you and your nation will be our slaves. Choose wisely. Goliath waited on the front lines. Philistines were behind him, ready for battle, cheering and glaring at the Israelites. The Israelite army did nothing. They just stood there, looking at the seasoned veteran of combat, fearing the nine-and-a-half-foot-tall menacing giant. After some time, Goliath left the front lines. One Israelite turned to the other. Man, King Saul be crazy to think I'm going to fight someone the size of an elephant and probably twice as strong. Hey, want to grab some grub? This standoff is going to take a while. The next day, the Philistine, Goliath arose and returned to the front lines. He began mocking the living God and everyone who followed him. He gave the same challenge to the Israelites. This continued every day and evening for 40 days. Now, within this mighty scared Israelite army were three brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema. They were the eldest sons of Jesse. Hey, so let's click the pause button here. The story of David and Goliath is found in 1 Samuel 17. In the previous chapter, chapter 16, a prophet named Samuel goes to Bethlehem to see Jesse and anoint the king of Israel after Saul. When Jesse brought Eliab, his oldest, Samuel thought God would choose him because he looked like a king, the Bible said. God didn't choose any of the eldest sons of Jesse. He chose the youngest. He chose David. All over the Bible, David is best known for someone with the heart of God. Hey, let's jump back in. 
Press play. Three, two, one, boop. When the battle came against the Philistines, David didn't follow King Saul into battle like his brothers. One of his responsibilities was to take food to his brothers in the army. Now I wonder what Jesse sent with David to the camp. Maybe he used some Tupperware from his kitchen. Maybe it was leftovers from the night before. Corn or wheat. Mmm, mmm. Heat that in the microwave for a tasty biblical treat. Well, David arrived at the camp with the food. The Bible says he left it with the keeper of supplies. That must have been a fun job. In fact, it was. They were in charge of making sure people had rooms, food, drink, and more during a battle. I wonder if he stocked the toilet paper. (laughs) So David left the fruit with the keep of supplies and went to the front lines to see his brothers. Do you remember their names? Yes, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema. When David got there, Goliath returned to give his rant, mocking the Lord's army and gave his challenge of champion warfare. David marched over to some soldiers and asked them, What will be given to the man who defeats this giant Goliath? Whoever defeats the Goliath will be set for life. David convinced King Saul to let him, though he was young, to battle Goliath. However, David went to battle in an unusual way, not with the typical heavy armor and sword, but with a simple slingshot and five smooth stones. Goliath looked David over and instantly hated him. Who do you think I am? An animal that you would come at me with sticks? He just continued to throw insults at David. But David stood strong with confidence against Goliath's verbal attacks. I have God on my side, and today he's going to help me win this battle. <laughs> Immediately, the earth shook as Goliath ran towards David, yelling. <laughs> David had years of experience and practice against beasts protecting his father's sheep. He moved swiftly with his slingshot. Suddenly, silence. And then a thud. Goliath had fallen. The Israelites had won. The Philistines fled and David was the hero. God had delivered the Israelites that day as he had done countless times before and would so again. But those are stories to be told at another time. Time and time again, God rescued the Israelites. Well, the Israelites continued to follow other nations, though, and even began to worship their gods, not the one true God. They were captured by the Persian Empire. Queen Esther is the only book in the Bible, though, that doesn't have God mentioned. The king has given me a job. I must do my best. Hear ye, hear ye, listen up, y'all. The king is looking across the land for the next queen, so if you're a girl and you believe you have what it takes, you could be our next queen. So strap on those van's shoes and drive on over to the citadel of Susa today. Esther was a foreigner in the Persian Empire. She was one of the females that went to the citadel of Susa. Her uncle Mordecai requested she not tell anyone she was Jewish. Upon entering the citadel, God was with her. Haggai, the house supervisor, liked Esther so much that she was given a year of beauty treatments and coaching before she was able to see the king. 
When she was ready, she stepped into the king's presence. The king was overwhelmed by her beauty. You are the most beautiful person I've ever seen. Come, be my queen. He was excited and relieved that after a long wait, a new queen of Persia had been found. To show excitement, he threw a big party. Let's have a big banquet with tons of food, music, and invite lots of people. This is a party. I'll declare this to be a holiday. God, get tons of gifts and pass them across my kingdom. Let's party. During the party, Uncle Mordecai, who was working at the king's gate, overheard a plot by guards kill the king. That party is thumping in there. Dude, I never got invited to a party by the king. Mm. Me either, man. We should remedy that. Let's make sure the king is no more so we won't be jealous of not getting invited to parties anymore. (laughs) No king, no parties. Immediately, Mordecai shared the news with Esther, who then shared it with the king. It was like a massive game of telephone. The king was saved and Mordecai was a hero. Some time passed. A guy by the name of Haman was given a top position by the king. The Bible says this promotion was higher than any other noble in the Persian Empire. He was paraded through the town, ordering all to bow to him. All who saw him bowed to Haman as he passed. But one, Mordecai. Mordecai only bowed to the living God, and Haman wasn't him. This made Haman furious. I am so mad I could punch a goat on Thursdays while eating jello. No goats were harmed during the filming of this show, and hereby are safe to laugh and run into the wild. Back to you. Haman found out Mordecai was a Jew and went to the king and, well, basically complained to him. O king, there are these people in your kingdom who don't follow your laws. Make a law to destroy them all. Huh? Sure. Whatever you want. When Mordecai heard this, he literally tore his clothes and laid down. Okay, let's pause here for a moment. Please do not rip your clothes. Okay, word got to the now Queen Esther of Mordecai's anguish. She immediately connected with her uncle. How are you feeling? Sad. Not good. What happened? Haman, he convinced the king to eliminate all Jews. For real life? What can I do? Pray and go to the king and stop this from happening to your people. I, I can't. He may kill me. You're crazy. Maybe God made you queen for such a time as this. Okay. Pray for me. I'll do it. She gained access to the king. The king asked that whatever she needed, even up to half his kingdom, he would give it. Esther replied by inviting both the king and Haman to an exclusive party. They had a great time. However, when the king asked her again what she needed, she didn't share it other than replying again an invitation to him and Haman to another exclusive party the next night. Haman was feeling proud of himself to have been invited to two parties by the queen. Haman slept well. The next day came. My queen, as for anything, up to half my kingdom, and I'll give it to you. My king, someone is trying to kill me. Who dares threaten my queen? Haman, I'm a Jew, and he wants to kill me and my people. At the sound of his name, Haman choked (gasps) on his food while the king stormed out. Haman thrust himself to the feet of Queen Esther, begging for his life. Please, 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 
I, I'm so sorry. Spare my life. The king returned with guards and had Haman arrested. With Haman removed from his position, the king promoted Mordecai. God had used Esther to save his people. Things are burning up. The Israelites were captured again and enslaved by the Babylonian Empire this time. The statue in the king's dream from God had various metals, not just gold. This was to represent a timeline of the ruling nations to come. Different nations, different metals, and the reign of each. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to rule forever, and so he made his statue all gold. Back, back it up. Whoa, watch it. Okay, dump it here. This statue King Nebuchadnezzar had commissioned is going to be beautiful. Yep, I'm almost jelly that I don't get a big 90-foot golden statue in my front yard. Wife says I can't have one because I just bought a new tool. Bummer, dude. That's like three school buses stacked on top of each other. That's perfect for you. Or 12 Christmas trees stacked on top. But no fun Christmas lights. The sun reflected off this giant golden statue, declaring King Nebuchadnezzar's reign would last forever. Well, at least that's what he wanted. As we know, nothing lasts forever except God. Can you say Nebuchadnezzar? (laughs) Funny name. Serious ruler. Let's just call him King Nebi for short. I want it to be so shiny I can see my amazing beard and eyes in it. I'm the greatest king Babylon has ever seen. Worker, I want a furnace too. Right next to that puppy. Not a wimpy one, a big one. I have big plans for this statue. Is he going to have a barbecue? Are we invited? You might not want to be invited to this barbecue. This massive statue was an amazing marvel. Not the comics, though. Once the statue was finished, the king wanted everyone to bow down to it. Wait, what now? What's commandment two again? God said, don't bow down and worship other things, even a lump of earth. Bring all the people that have brass thingies. You mean musicians? Don't correct me. Those people that play stuff that sounds good. Musicians? Mm. Okay, whatever you say. Every time, I want people to bow down to my amazing, golden, stupendous, and marvelous statue. I will have them play. All who hear it must immediately bow down. If they do not, it's barbecue time. King Nebi was serious. Every time he had musicians play, people had to bow down or get thrown into the fiery furnace. The Bible says that when all heard the sound of horn, flute, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, they fell down and worshipped the golden image. All obeyed, but three people. These three men were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But here, we will refer to them as Shady, Messy, and Big Ben. No, they didn't work in the local chocolate bunny factory. Shady, Messy, and Big Ben were the main administrators over the province of Babylon. 
They paid no attention to the command, and they didn't bow down. Oh, you're not bowing down. I'm telling. Okay, so? Yeah, go ahead. We only bow to one god. So this complainer ran to King Nebi and, well, complained. Oh, King Nebi, may you live forever and more. You issued a law for whoever hears the music must fall down and worship this amazing and majestic image of gold. Yeah, get on with it. Well, dear king, Shady, Messy, and Big Ben, they are Jews, and you set them over all the business of Babylon. They control the toilet paper and the amount of hot dogs we can eat. They don't serve our gods, and they are choosing to stand and not worship your golden statue. Furious with rage, King Nebi commanded that Shady, Messy, and Big Ben be brought to him. Hey, you guys. I hear you're not falling down and worshipping this marvelous piece of construction when the music is played. I also hear that you don't serve my gods. Is this true? Yes. Since you are over all the business in Babylon, clearly you understand how important this is. So I'm going to give you three another chance. In front of all these people, when you hear the music again, bow down and worship the golden image. But if you do not, I will have you thrown into my big, hot, fiery furnace. No one can rescue you. No person and no God. Not true. We ain't bowing to this thing, dude. We worship the true God. He has the power to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't do something against our God's law. King Nebi got so mad, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than normal. The Bible says he also ordered his strongest guards to grab the three, tie them up, and throw them into the furnace. The king glared as they fell into the new barbecue pit. Immediately, King Nebi jumped to his feet in amazement. Wait! Didn't we just toss three people into the furnace? Yes, I saw the whole thing. Then why do I see four? Not three. The king ordered Shady, Messy, and Big Ben to come out of the furnace. They easily walked out of the furnace. They were not burned, hurt, or even smelled of smoke or mesquite flavor at all. The king praised the true God who rescued the three and declared that no other God can save this way. God's rescuing power was evident. The end. Continuing in the same book, Daniel, this next story focuses on the actions of Daniel himself. Let's remember to stand up for what is right, even if it's not popular. What was that? Oh, those were the lions. Lions? Will they attack us? (laughs) No, unless you get thrown into their pit. Okay. Wait. Say what now? Yeah, just last week, King Darius's top governors got thrown in. Let me tell you the story. Daniel was a top governor of the Persian Empire. King Darius and he were friends. I like you, Daniel. Can you friend me on Facebook and follow me on Instagram? King, may you live forever. 
You're awesome, and yes, we can be friends. King Darius, the ruler of Persia, had many people guide him in leading his kingdom, helping make laws and care for other people. Daniel, amongst others, was one of them. However, only Daniel loved and followed God. God blessed Daniel to be the best of the best, and he was a great governor in the land. The king was very pleased and happy with his friend, so impressed that he wanted to reward Daniel and give him a big promotion. Well, the other governors didn't like that idea, so they planned to trick the king, hurt Daniel, and gain the reward for themselves. Let us laugh together. We have a great plan. (laughs) We will not be caught. (laughs) What was their plan and why? Daniel was amazing at his job. In the Bible, we were encouraged to live a blameless life. The other governors were so jealous of Daniel's hard work, kindness, leadership, and more that they tried to find him guilty of something. Could they? On the count of three, yell no. One, two, three, no! Wow, that was loud. And you're correct. They couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. He was blameless. They did everything they could. Followed him like secret agents and spied on him like ninjas. All they could find was Daniel talked to the living God three times a day. That's why they came up with this tricky and devious plan to trap him. So they went to the king. What was the name of the king again? Darius. Right. Oh, wise King Darius, (laughs) may you live for a very long, 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 long and extra long time. Make a law, O wise king. Okay. Make a law for the thirty days or a month, whatever you choose, that every single person must pray only to you. And if they don't, they get tossed in with the lions, and they be hungry. Bum, bum, bum. I love the idea that all should pray to me. It will make me feel even more important. New spread of the new law. When Daniel heard, he went home, opened his windows, and prayed to the living God three times a day, like he had always done. This new law did not stop him. He served God. This is exactly what the other governors needed. They ran to the king. Oh, dear king, (laughs) may you live forever and a long time too. You know, your choice. Did you not write a law saying people should only pray to you? I did. Daniel prays to his God, not you. Burn. The king was really sad. Night came. The king, who was bound by law, gave his order of Daniel to be thrown to the lions. The king yelled to Daniel as he fell. My friend, may your God, whom you follow, save you. Daniel hit the floor. It was dark. Growling could be heard. Suddenly, a bright light appeared. Meanwhile, in the king's chambers, King Darius couldn't sleep. It was a long night. Morning came, and he ran to the lion's pit. Hoping for the best, he yelled down, My friend, are you still alive? Hello? Yes. During the night, God sent his angel to protect me. I'm not hurt. Not even a scratch. Daniel was set free from the lion's pit. King Darius declared Daniel's God was the true God across his kingdom. 
and the other governors who tricked the king to hurt Daniel were thrown to the lions. God had rescued Daniel. In Jonah, our final story, Jonah was born in the northern kingdom of Israel. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians had attacked Jonah's home. Jonah knew God was loving, compassionate, and quick to forgive. But Jonah had some things to work on in order to forgive the people God wanted him to go to. This is the first documented time in the Bible that God reminds us that his love is not just for the Jews, but rather the whole world. Jonah spent three days in the fish, which foreshadows things to come in the New Testament. Hey, today we are going to experience three things. Denial, repentance, and God's rescuing power. So get out your fishing rods, tackle box, and life jackets for this crazy cruise. Thank you for choosing me. However... Oh, really? Have you seen these people? Have you heard them speak? Did you know that they don't clip their toenails? I heard they drink 7-Up. Ugh, not Sprite. Nope. Did I mention they attacked my home? Jonah was a prophet of God. What is a prophet? A prophet was a person who shared God's messages to the people. I'm leaving. You want me to go to Nineveh? I'm going the opposite way. I hear the Bahamas are nice this time of year. Uh, Jonah, you didn't go to the Bahamas. Well, I'll just go to Tarshish. Jonah absolutely positively wasn't and didn't want to go to Nineveh and share God's message. So, he jumped on a boat in Joppa and sailed in the opposite direction. In fact, Tarshish was the most remote place he could find and was triple the distance from Joppa than Nineveh. Some would say he was in denial of his calling, denial of God's message transforming the Ninevites and more. I think Jonah was dealing with something deeper. Ah, peace and, well, almost quiet. If you can remove the wood creaking, wind blowing, rats on the floor, and you got a nice peaceful trip. I'm just going to. It was wonderful. Jonah was sawing some logs, or, uh, sleeping, in a ship. However, nothing wonderful was happening out on the deck of the ship with the sailors. Oh, what's happening? I don't know what happened. It was a red sky last night, not this morning. (laughs) Let's lighten the ship. Maybe. We are too heavy. Start throwing everything off. 
And they did. Did I mention that Jonah was asleep through this whole craziness? He must have been dreaming something good. He needed the captain of the ship to run down and wake him up. Are you crazy, man? How could you sleep during the time like this? Get up, man, and pray to your God. Maybe he will have mercy on us and save us from this crazy storm. Uh, um, what happened? Huh? Say what now? Oh, Jonah was in a tough spot. The same God who created the world, made him a prophet, and wanted him to share his message was the same one he was running from now. Jonah now had to talk to him after he was running away. Talk about awkward. Jonah knew at that moment what was happening. He knew what must be done. So he gathered all the sailors because he had a plan. Hey guys, I I know it's crazy weather out here. The rain, thunder, and cows flying. I wish you didn't have to do this, but you need to throw me off the boat. Why are you joking during the storm? We may die. Listen, my God is the God who sent this crazy storm upon us. If you throw me off, it will end. The Bible mentions the sailors rolled some game dice. I don't know if they played Candyland or Monopoly, but they agreed to throw Jonah off or else they wouldn't survive. Okay, Jonah, let's go. One, two, three. Ah! Jonah was correct. The moment he was thrown off, the boat, and hit the water, God stopped the storm. The sailors were safe. Next time, before we give passage to someone, we need to run a background check. Hey, what's that? Jonah, swim! But don't swim to the boat! I'm, um... Swim fast, man, uh, towards somewhere other than here. There's a giant fish coming straight at you. God, this is you. Bring it on. With one gulp, the fish swallowed him up. It was dark, smelly, and sadly, he didn't run into Geppetto on his raft. Jonah laid there in silence. Have you sat in silence? It's hard and sometimes boring. However, sometimes you get to thinking, and that is what Jonah was doing. Thinking. Thinking about everything he had done. He had denied God. Jonah was sad. He knew God loved him, so he went from thinking to praying. He went to talk to God. calling out to you for help and forgiveness. I turned from you. I was alone, but God, welcome me back. You are a loving God. 
Thank you, God. You are my rescuer and you are my strength. Suddenly, the fish spit Jonah onto a beach. Jonah lying in the sands, remembering his purpose, remembering whose he is. He stood up. Uh, uh, what? What? Oh, there's sand in my pants. And, and, and fish saliva in my ears, and what's, what's that, what's that smell? <laughs> it's, it's me! <laughs> I, I'm alive! I'm alive! And I, and I stink! I, I'm here, I'm here, I'm in Nineveh. Jonah, now go and be my message of hope to these people. This time, Jonah listened. He knew God was a loving God, and he walked into Nineveh with that message for them to turn to God. Nineveh was a large city, and it took Jonah three days to go through it. He came before the leaders and shared God's message the entire city turned to God and were saved. Later on, God connected with Jonah, reminding him that he loves everyone, not just a few. He even loves you. The End Thank you for listening. It's been a journey and an adventure. If you're curious about learning more fun Bible knowledge or you'd like to learn more about this podcast and how it's part of a larger God vision and resourcing churches, send me an email. It's located in the show notes. Until season two, listeners, remember, God created you and God loves you. When you know whose you are, you'll be able to know who you are better.